Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Week 41 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Thanks again. Another great week. Topped all other weeks. We keep growing, keep telling your friends. Today's show is brought to you by Grasshopper. Friends of the pod can save $50 on your order when you go to trygrasshopper.com slash Han. That's H-A-H-N. Of course, you know that. It's right on your screen if you're listening to this podcast. Lots to talk about this week, guys. I mean, impeachment starts. The New York Times made an endorsement. We're uh, two weeks away from Iowa, less than two weeks away from Iowa. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. All right, America. So uh, thanks for uh, last week. I mean, one of my best weeks ever as far as downloads, and I had half a voice. I was sick. You heard my radio show last week. I really had it going on. It was really bad. I mean, I could hardly talk. Here I am this week putting together a show. Um, You know, Martin Luther King weekend. I think that... Uh, The quote that I like the most that I often use, not just this year, but every year, uh, the time is always right to do what's right. And as the Senate convenes later today to take up the articles of impeachment, I implore members of the majority who I know have their suspicion of Donald Trump to do the right thing. The time is always right to do what's right. And you could go one or two ways, Senate. You could uh, be complicit in the cover-up, or you could have a fair trial. And if there's a fair trial where the evidence is heard and uh, the people get to see what's going on, because Mitch McConnell, uh, at the time I'm taping this, Mitch McConnell is saying that he's only going to have debate over two days, 24 hours of debate over two days, and the Senate will not convene before 1 p.m., which means, you know, there'll be debate at like 3 o'clock in the morning on this, middle of the night, so nobody could watch it. Yeah, that seems like they're really confident that what is being said benefits the president. All this chest pounding about how this is going to be so good for the president. No, let's have it so that we're debating it in the middle of the night. 24 hours of debate, in the middle of the night. Think about that. So when you're having this conversation, and I always say, you know, one of the things I hope I am for you is a guide to how to talk to conservatives because I spend most of my time talking to conservatives, uh, at least on television and on Twitter and even on the radio. 
My callers are almost always conservative. I finally have a liberal station that has any real listenership. That's KKSF in San Francisco, uh, which uh, brings in some liberals. But I'm not live there, so I don't get calls. Uh, I'm still pre-taped there. We're working it out. We're going to be live there soon. But uh, I always say when you talk to conservatives, you got to point out the flaws and the hypocrisy. If they really think that this is good for Donald Trump and it's helping Donald Trump, why have debate in the middle of the night? Why not do three days of debate so you could end it at a reasonable hour, like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. even, and then start again the next day? Or maybe bring the Senate in early. Start debate at like 9 in the morning and have it go throughout the day. No, we're going to do it till 3 a.m. So if a good point's made at 2 a.m., nobody in America is going to hear it. That that's, that's the sign of a cover. Oh, everything's great. Everything's rosy. Okay, well... Tell me then why you are so opposed to witnesses, including, you know, we, we went through this whole saga last week with Lev Parnas. You know, this is the problem with podcasting America. And I got a lot of listeners last week, and I really appreciate it. I, I, I My podcast comes out on Tuesday morning. Tuesday night, Lev Parnas is on Rachel Maddow, and he's spilling the beans and uh, and basically saying, Rudy Giuliani, you know, would have the president on speakerphone with him there and he would go to the Ukraine and Rudy Giuliani would say he speaks on my behalf and I speak on behalf of the president. All sorts of stuff that Congress really should be considering. Now, look, look, I get it. This is a guy who is being indicted for election fraud, not election fraud, I guess uh, campaign finance violations, significant campaign finance violations. I mean, steering hundreds of thousands of dollars in foreign money to congressional campaigns. Um, I get it. Um, He might have a reason to be talking and his credibility should surely be at least considered dubious. But that's the point of a trial. That's the point of cross-examination and determining whether or not what he says is more true than not. He seemed pretty truthful to me, right? I mean, I think that what he had to say, he had a lot of evidence. This is a guy taking notes, right? And everybody's like, oh, he was taking notes because he was, uh, you know, these are dumb criminals. No, I don't think he thought what he was doing was illegal. He didn't realize that the president of the United States would use the power of his office to help him accomplish the goals that he was set out to accomplish, right? Lev Parnas was told by Rudy Giuliani to get the president of Ukraine to announce, not to actually do, but to announce a inve- an investigation of Joe Biden. He didn't know that there was anything wrong with that. And in fact, if it was just a private citizen doing it and trying to make some, I, I don't know if there's anything illegal there. But when the president of the United States holds up aid, holds up meetings in the White House, that were vital to the president of Ukraine, to his existence, to the credibility of his government. When you hold up that stuff until this man does an investigation of your political opponent, that, America, is abuse of power. That is a crime. That is unconstitutional. Now, I I know Alan Dershowitz, who I don't think I've ever debated on Fox, but I've often come after on Fox. And, you know, I'm... I'm a lawyer. I don't practice really. I mean, I practice a little bit, but I don't really practice anymore. I am annoyed with members of the media pointing out who Alan Dershowitz and even Ken Starr have represented in the past. I don't buy their arguments. I think Alan Dershowitz saying that this is not criminal. This is not impeachable. That's nonsense. It's it's the exact reason why we have impeachment in the Constitution. The reason we have impeachment is because presidents should not be abusing their power, especially to influence an election and especially to, to seek foreign help in influencing elections. So I don't buy it. I don't buy his argument, but I don't like when people point out who he's represented in the past. I don't like that. In America, the most guilty person, the most dupe, the most, you know, ridiculous criminal, worst horrid person you imagine is entitled to a fair trial and competent representation. And if we start like holding who lawyers represented against them, you know, it might encourage lawyers not to take tough cases. So, you know, look, there's a lot of people out there that say he has some connection to Jeffrey Epstein other than attorney client. 
you know, that's fair game as far as I'm concerned. He was palling around with Jeffrey Epstein and getting massages from underage girls from with the help of Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein, which I can't prove or disprove. It's been said. That's something we should investigate. But representing Jeffrey Epstein is not a crime. It's fact. It's the duty of members of the bar. And I, I am not in favor of calling people out for it. But he's going to make an argument that this president was not, what he did was not impeachable. I'm sorry, uh, Professor, that you are, you know, here's a, another guy who when I was in law school, I, you know, I looked up to, I mean, he was a, a brilliant, a, a brilliant legal mind. Got it. He represented OJ Simpson. But look, this is the point of defense. You know, when I was growing up in the law, we used to say it is better for a hundred guilty people to go free than for one innocent man to go to prison. I still believe that. And I do believe OJ Simpson was a guilty man. But I also believe that the LAPD may have tried to frame a guilty man. They didn't feel they had the case. They did have a case. But some of the things they did helped to free OJ Simpson. It created doubt in the minds of the jury. And I think that it was vital for his representation to make those points so that future PDs and future prosecutors wouldn't try to use the same techniques against innocent people because they may not have the case. So I was okay I was okay with that. But man, this is another one. Like Rudy Giuliani's got off the rails. He is just defending Trump for the sake of, I don't know, getting on television. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I don't understand it at all. And to say, you know, that this is not impeachable. It's amazing to me. And and then Ken Starr, you know, Ken Starr, another one. Now I've I've had the privilege of debating Ken Starr recently. And Ken Starr impeached Bill Clinton for a personal crime, not a crime against the state. Uh, by the way, I think what Bill Clinton did was reprehensible. I don't think that uh, men in power should be preying on interns. I think it's reprehensible. And I think he probably should have resigned. Now that I look back on it, okay, again, people are like, where, where were you then? Well, I was in college and law school. And they're like, did you speak out against it then? Well, I was in college and law school and nobody would have cared. So uh, I'm not in college and law school anymore. I'm a pundit and I'm speaking out about it now. And I think what he did was represent reprehensible. I have daughters. I have been in workplace situations. I've, I've managed interns. These are kids. And, um, you know, Monica Lewinsky was a young 22-year-old intern. He was the most powerful man in the world, and he should not have been involved in a relationship with her. And that was reprehensible. But is it worse than what, is it worse than what Trump did? Is what Trump did using the power of his office for personal and political gain worse than what Bill Clinton did? using, I don't know, his position to influence the mind of a young woman. Now, I, like I said, I think it's reprehensible what he did. But is it impeachable? I, I think there maybe should have been an outcry by everyone, including members of his own party, to get rid of him when it was found out that what actually happened happened. He admitted to it, right? Um, And, and poor Monica Lewinsky. I mean, I, I follow her on Twitter and she is witty as hell. I don't... I really, I, I got to tell you, there's a woman whose life has been turned upside down by politics and has really stayed the course. And we have to be as a nation proud of who she's become given the adversity that she's faced. I mean, she basically was painted a slut. Why? Because she was wooed by an old man, let's face it, an old man at the time, um, an old man who was the most powerful and quite frankly, one of the most charismatic people in the world. I've met Bill Clinton a bunch of times. He is a charismatic guy. And she's the one, you know, he goes on, he finishes his term. He has a good ex-presidency. You know, he's still admired and, and rightfully for some of the things he's done, admired. And she was cast aside. She was mod- She basically wore a scarlet letter her whole life. And yet you see her interviewed, you read her stuff, you see her on Twitter, I highly encourage you, if you're not following Monica Lewinsky on Twitter, you should do it right now. She She's uh, she's good. She's good. She's, she's actually great on Twitter. Um, and I really enjoy following her. And I hope someday I meet her and I could say to her that on behalf of, you know, all the people who did nothing, who didn't come to her defense 
And I'm not just talking about Democrats. Republicans used her, right? Lindsey Graham wanted to bring her to the floor of the Senate to testify to use her, right? Uh, We should be sorry about that. But here he is, Ken Starr, who thought that that was the worst thing a president could do, clutched his pearls because of the president's extramarital affair. And yes, he did lie about it under oath. Like most men lie about affairs. He lied about it under oath. It is a lie. It is a crime. But it was not a crime against the state. It was not an abuse of his office. It was a private act, right? And we have a president right now and a justice department that says a president cannot be indicted while in office, only impeached. So is a minor lying under oath infraction impeachable? Because if it is, anything is, right? So now these people are out there saying, well, he's got you know, Ken Starr, the guy who impeached for a lie to a grand jury. He impeached for a lie. He didn't impeach Bill Clinton for abusing his office in seducing that intern. He impeached Bill Clinton for lying under oath. Think about that for a minute. That's not an abuse of power. That is a common everyday occurrence. It's criminal. It's wrong. Shouldn't happen. But it's not necessarily something that is unique to the presidency. Trump has been impeached for using his office to gain personally and politically. Now, America, I ask you, what is worse? What is more impeachable? It, it, it's So Ken Starr is now on this legal team. They're going to have their arguments. Uh, you know, I, I, for one, just don't, <laughs> I don't really get, I don't really get how these people, how Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz sleep at night. I mean, it's a quick, a, a, a real like 180 from their positions many years ago. So here we are. It, it's going to be an interesting week. I, 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 for one, I got a busy week. I'm going to be on radio. I'm going to be on TV. I'm doing a lot, a lot of of other things. It's a busy, busy week. And all this is happening at the same time. And in Iowa, Iowa's two weeks away. Not even. It's two weeks from Monday. You're listening to this on Tuesday or later. So it's less than two weeks away and they start voting in Iowa. And the New York Times spoke. And I read the entire thing. Um, So here's my impression. Well, first, I think it's a cop-out to pick two, but I get where they're coming from, right? And I'm going to talk about this on cable a lot this week. I'm going to be debating Karl Rove. I'm going to be debating others. Um, I get where they're coming from, right? The Democratic Party seems to be in two camps, right? People who want radical change, and those would be in the Sanders and Warren mold, and people who want change but don't want to upturn the system, right? I, I talked about it last week. I said, you know, um, uh, when I talked about it with my guest last week, he said, does does, does the party want a disruptor like the Republicans picked in 2016 with Donald Trump. They picked a disruptor, right? Say what you want about Donald Trump. Disruptor is probably the term best used to describe his impact on the political system. So do the Democrats want to pick a disruptor? So the New York Times said, okay, in the disruptor category, which really is Sanders and Warren legitimately, they picked the lesser of the two disruptors, right? Bernie is a unwavering, my way or the highway, this is the way it's got to be. I'm not even really a Democrat disruptor. Warren shares almost all of the same views as Bernie Sanders does, but is more likely to compromise to get her things accomplished, right? So I think that they think, okay, with Trump, where we have this two-camp system, we have to have a next president who's kind of kind of break through that a little bit. And I, I don't know how Warren does that. I really don't. But Warren does have a record of accomplishment. She created the Consumer Protections Bureau when she was an advisor to, 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 to President Obama. The Senate blocked her confirmation to head that, um, that agency. And now she's a U.S. senator. Look, she probably wouldn't be running for president today if they didn't block that appointment. They made her a household name. Um. So it is it is interesting. So, you know, their their rationale is Warren has a record of being able to use executive power where Bernie does not. They also picked Amy Klobuchar for those who are not in the disruptor camp. So who's in the not disruptor camp, but also very liberal, right? They made it very clear that any of the top five or six people running for president right now, should they be elected, would be the most progressive president 
elected probably since FDR. So Klobuchar, who also shares a lot of progressive ideals, is definitely a moderate, right? A moderate Midwesterner who, you know, we if you asked the question four years ago, who could beat Trump? The answer was a moderate woman from the Midwest. Well, that's Amy Klobuchar, right? She's a moderate woman from the Midwest, a pragmatic liberal who would who who has shown in her time in the Senate that she's willing to compromise to get things accomplished. So the New York Times said, okay, so if you're in the pragmatic, I wouldn't say status quo wing of the party, but if you're in the more traditional wing of the party, I can't remember the exact word they used, they would go with Amy Klobuchar in that regard. Now, look, uh, you know, who else is in that category? Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden. Their arguments for for people to check too young, they say they hope he stays active, hope he works his way up. I get that. I have said before, I love Pete Buttigieg. I think if he's not the nominee for president, I think he should be writing all of the talking points for the president, uh, presidential candidate and every surrogate that goes out there because his messaging is spot on. I think it appeals to many voters and he should be in charge of that for the party going forward. On Joe Biden, they said basically he was too old, right? That we know him because he's been around and that's why he's leading in the polls and his numbers are soft. So we'll see, right? If you look at Iowa right now, it's pretty much a four-way tie. Biden, Buttigieg, Warren, and Sanders. Four-way tie. If you look at uh, New Hampshire, same thing. Four-way tie. Biden is winning in South Carolina by a lot. Biden is winning in Nevada. Biden is winning nationally. How soft are his numbers? Does a defeat in Iowa damage Biden? Biden's main gig right now in this campaign, his main message, is that he's the electable one. So a loss, I think, really hurts Biden, even if he comes in a close second in Iowa. Now, I think if he wins Iowa, it is his nomination to lose. Yes, I know he's gaff prone. He and and people, you know, people point that out like it's an old age thing. Um, I'm sorry, I've been around Joe Biden for. I mean, I've been in politics nationally, uh, really realistically since 1999. I mean, I actually worked at the Democratic National Convention in 1992, but I was like 19 years old and nobody cared, right? Um, but I've been around. I've been worked for Chuck Schumer. I've been in, I've been around. The man's been gaff proof as long as I've known. Not gaff proof. Gaff prone as long as I've known him. He's made gaffes. That's who he is. It has nothing to do with his age. It's just who he is. I've also seen him speak to live audiences, and it you know it doesn't necessarily translate on television, which is unfortunate because in today's modern politics, it better translate on television. And I think his ads have been. Tremendous. I think they've been great. So, you know, we'll see. Clearly, the president is obsessed with him, right? That's why he's being impeached. He was obsessed with Joe Biden. And I thought his answer on the debate last week was pretty good. So we'll see. The election is nigh. The impeachment is upon us. Bernie Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Amy Klobuchar have to sit out the rest of the Iowa caucus. The rest of it. I mean, they will not be in Iowa, but for Sundays, I guess they could go on Sundays. They will not be in Iowa. So we'll see. And you know, you also got Tom Steyer, Andrew Gang, Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg's not competing in the early states, but he's advertising like crazy. If you watch the NFL playoffs this weekend, which I did, and they were fantastic, by the way. Uh, I don't know who I'm picking yet. Uh, I always have a big party. Uh, this is a this is a game I'm going to want to watch. I, I think I think... I think Mahomes is one of the most exciting players to enter the NFL. I mean, in a generation, is that? I mean, I mean, he's he, that touchdown run he had was amazing, and he's, he's just he's just good at everything. And he's talk about young. He's twenty four. He looks like he's twelve. Uh, go! I don't want to say go KC uh, because I think San Francisco's defense is phenomenal. And frankly, I'm I'm not in any markets in Kansas City, and I'm in San Francisco. So I guess I got to root for San Francisco. I guess I got to. I have to do it. So, but I like I like Mahomes. I, I think he's a great player. He's like going to be my favorite. I mean, Mahomes and Hill. I mean, that's a, that is a combination. 
But if you watch that game, there was a Bloomberg commercial every single break. Every break. The man is advertising and his ads are good. They're good ads. He's all over the place. And you can't you can't deny it. You really can't. So we'll see. I mean, he's playing for this split up four-way mess coming out of the four early primaries going into Super Tuesday. He's hoping, like, I mean, he's got to hope Amy Klobuchar breaks through in Iowa. If Amy Klobuchar wins Iowa, which is not out of the possibilities. I mean, she's not in the top four right now, but she's only like a very small amount out of the top four. And Iowa breaks late. It's very fluid. We're probably going to see a poll this week after this New York Times thing that show her maybe in the top four or just outside of it. Momentum matters. That endorsement might matter to her. Could be interesting. Buckle up. That's all I have to say. All right, I got a great guest, good friend of mine, Evan Siegfried. He is a Republican from New York, a Republican strategist who I've known for years. He is not a fan of Donald Trump. Uh, interesting guy. Uh, you're going to like him. And I got to remind you about Grasshopper. If you're in business, any business, your communication partner is critical to succeeding and growing. That is why you need to look at Grasshopper. Sound more professional and stay connected with Grasshopper, the virtual phone system designed for entrepreneurs. Grasshopper works just like a traditional phone system, but requires no hardware to purchase or no software to install, and it's all managed by phone. Callers can reach you wherever you are, on your cell phone, in the office, or even at home. Get a toll-free number or a local number for your business with multiple extensions. You can set up each extension with custom call forwarding to any phone in the world. You could send and receive SMS text messages from your business number. Get voicemails emailed to you as audio attachments. There's an app for iOS and Android, and that lets you make calls from your business number. Plans start at just $12 a month. If you got a business, $12 a month, pretty good. With a 30-day money-back guarantee. To save $50 on your order, go to trygrasshopper.com slash Han. Yes, save $50 on your order at trygrasshopper.com slash Han. I'll be right back. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. I got a great guest for you, Evan Siegfried. You've seen him on MSNBC. He's a uh, former Republican strategist. I guess you're still a Republican strategist. It's kind of like being mayor. You're always called Mr. Mayor when you leave office. Evan, how you doing, man? Not too bad, although the fact that you're an Islanders fan makes me want to end this interview yeah. right now. I know. A Manhattan guy like you, you're probably uh, all over the Rangers, unless you've got some weird team you root for, like the Florida Hardcore Panthers. Hardcore Rangers fan, <laughs> and let's just be honest, you have proven why I just don't like you by being an Islanders <laughs> By the way, check out Evan, at Evan Siegfried on Twitter. And you can check me out at Christopher Hahn on Twitter and ChristopherHahn.com. And don't forget to download the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. If you like me here, you will love me there. Evan, how are you, my man? I'm not too shabby, you know, enjoying these strange and funky times. Yeah, I mean, uh, today was a surreal day. I guess this whole week has been kind of surreal, right? Uh, you have uh, the impeachment thing going on and then Lev Parnas like doing a media tour like he's promoting a book or something. Uh, it was it was pretty damning, if you ask me. I mean, uh, what are your thoughts about where we are as a nation right now? Well, on the impeachment aspect, I actually found it intellectually fascinating just from a this is the tradition, this is the routine that you have to go through in the formalities. Yeah. What you think about the impeachment part, it was just so uh, intellectually fascinating yeah. to watch the senators take the oath, Chief Justice Roberts come in, and then the House managers come 
and deliver the article. Yeah. There was a lot of formality to it. That Ceremony, as, pomp and circumstance. Yeah, yeah. And as a sort of a traditions geek, if you will, I enjoyed watching it and just found it fascinating. On impeachment itself, hey, what a You mess. wonder this that in the face of all of that pomp and circumstance and ceremony and tradition and swearing to oaths, you wonder how so many of them are just not going to take those oaths seriously, how they can do that in the face of all that. Well, actually, I think that you'd have a much stronger case as Democrats if you had played out the process more in the courts on trying to get people to testify before the House Impeachment Committee and in the House Impeachment hearings. Because it's going to be a heck of a lot harder to get those testimonies from the Senate uh, because you have to get the senators to agree to it, and Republicans have control of the Senate. Well, I mean— there is hope, right? I mean, you know, Susan Collins might do the right thing. I mean, she's never done the right thing before, so I don't know why we are thinking about this. But you're hearing from people like Lamar Alexander and uh, Lisa Murkowski and, of course, Mitt Romney. You know, I don't know why Mitt Romney wouldn't do the right thing. He's got nothing to lose. I mean, he's never going to not get get elected. But wouldn't you agree that the odds of getting the, those testimonies would have been increased had these people testified before the House and the House Democrats had allowed this entire process to yeah, play Yeah, I, I think so. I remember, think... it was the courts that forced Nixon to turn over his tapes. Well, remember that the, the... Nixon's resignation. So, so, so the uh, courts... I'm a little bit more on the Jonathan Turley argument, though I do support having brought articles of impeachment against the president. Uh, I think that Democrats rushed it, and that was a big problem. Well, look, I think that, you know, you would have spent two years in court trying to get these these witnesses to testify. Who knows what would have happened in those two years, right? This this president, I mean, needs to be held accountable, and nothing, no one seemed to want to push back on this man's ridiculous view of executive power uh, until he crossed that line with Ukraine. And, and every single day, by the way, I keep thinking, and, I, and, and everybody wants to fight me on this, I think Nancy Pelosi's strategy was pretty good. Uh, I mean, every day since she's held these impeachment articles, we found new stuff about this president. And these Republicans that might, you know, vote for a cover-up if they don't want to have witnesses, if they don't have a real fair trial, they are going to have to live with everything else that comes out between now and November. Oh, Chris, this is where I disagree with you. Nancy Pelosi normally is a very shrewd tactician, and I respect her but disagree with her on the issues. However, what Pelosi did not do right, and I said this from day one, is that there are a lot of Americans, because they know how the uh, vote will go in the Senate, that the president will be ultimately acquitted, right. who look at the House and say, you know what, in 2018, we voted for Democrats to get stuff done, because Republicans weren't really doing that in the first two years of the Trump administration. It was just executive order after executive order and governing by executive decree. And all that the media has sucked up, be it rightly or wrongly, is just impeachment, 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 impeachment. So what is the average American who isn't paying attention to the ins and outs and the comings and goings at every second going to see happening out of Washington? Just they're seeing Washington being consumed by impeachment and nothing else happening. Well, look, so, I, hold on, though. The House of Representatives the House of Representatives have passed over 400 pieces of legislation. Back, you should hear the whole argument. <laughs> All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I know you're a little bit passive-aggressive. I should, uh, I should uh, let you speak since it took me like six months to get you on the show. I mean, you know, Joy Behar, you know, one phone call, she's on. Evan takes six months. The guy's too busy for me. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, you know. I also had been going out on dates and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joy's married, so it's not as hard. She's got things to do <laughs> at, at night. You know, she, you get her on the phone at like six o'clock. She's okay. <laughs> but it's strategically, what I think Democrats should have done is that while they are going and trying to pass legislation left and right, and I'm not discounting that, but from the point of view to many Americans, it doesn't look like that. What they should have done is, and played into the way that network news works, in that Nancy Pelosi should have been having a press conference every day on uh, in the from the speaker's press office and saying, okay, we're going to talk about impeachment. But just before we do that, here are the things Democrats have done in the past 24 hours. And they list it off. Right. And then they make a deal with reporters in the audience when they open up the Q&A that they will give the first question to John Smith from XYZ News. And the deal is that that person will ask a substantive question on 
one of those particular things. Eh, you know, not a bad idea. And then I mean, you do it. Not a bad and idea. And that's look, they've where pa- I think Democrats really blew it. And it they, looks they, like to the casual observer, Democrats are not getting things done. Yeah, and that's just not like. not the case. I mean, Mitch McConnell's the one not getting anything done. The guy has just been, you know, he's been the stonewall of the Senate. He he has blocked every piece of legislation that's come over, including stuff that's passed with broad bipartisan support. So well, it's, here's the thing. There has been actual legislation passed, which President Trump signed. And I think you and I would agree that, in, especially in this day and age, there was the it's now a federal crime to be cruel and torture an animal. I like I that, that Bill. Absolutely horrific. That yeah. It wasn't before. And that passed with a bride, uh, large bipartisan support. And everybody said, oh, Mitch McConnell's going to kill that bill when the House passed it overwhelmingly. And of course he didn't. Well, he as did you know, it was the right thing. But remember, you, the Senate is also the brakes on yep. government. Well, it's the cooling saucer of the republic. It's the cooling saucer. But I, you know, here's my problem, Evan. Just uh, one problem? Uh, well, I have many problems, but my big problem with the Senate, and, you know, I'm a creature of the Senate, but I think the Senate needs to go. I don't think the Senate does the job that the founders intended for it to do. They're basically a a House of Representatives now with six-year terms. And I think that they, you know, it's unrepresentative. I mean, we live in New York. We have two senators and somebody from Idaho has two senators and they have, you know, there are more people living in your apartment building on the uh, Upper East Side right now than living in that whole state. First of all, you and I have gone over this many times. Oh, your West Side, West Side. Upper East Side. (laughs) Upper West. (laughs) Well, look, that is where the House of Representatives comes into play. It allows for the balance of power. The legislature is designed specifically to be both giving places with a higher population more votes within the House, but giving everybody in the Senate equal But the Senate was supposed to be above politics. That was what the founders intended. And instead, it's knee deep in. Do a better job at electing senators. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's another way to look at it. I, I, I do appreciate that point of view. And but, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of term limits. I think the voters should take care of getting people out. Elections are what are. Uh, yeah, because I think if you get rid of term limits, you know, you basically give the government over to the bureaucrats and not the elected officials because they could just wait anybody out. All right, Evan, hold that thought. I'm going to take a quick break. All right. Stay tuned for part two of my interview with Evan. Evan, how you doing? Uh, I really appreciate your thoughts on the last uh, segment here. I, I mean, who knows where this impeachment's going to go? I feel like new evidence comes out every day. But I do think, you Don't know, they sell tickets to an impeachment? They should, right? <laughs> well, I thought that they actually do, because uh, I think Richard Nixon, when he was on the verge of being impeached, actually, actually mused to some of his aides, they sell tickets to an impeachment. You know that? <laughs> I, yeah. It would actually be kind of cool. It would be It would be fun to watch. I guess we probably could get in. I mean, I, I know a few people in the Senate. Well, I mean, there's <laughs> some seat, I mean, do they put them on StubHub and you get to see what your seat looks like? Well, uh, I mean, there are only so many there. seats in the Senate gallery, so... So I don't think there's really a bad seat, you know? Well, I don't know. I have to say the corner, the very corner. Yeah, that top corner in the Senate gallery could be could be painful, I guess. I, I don't know. It, it is what it is. But I, I think, look, I, I'm wondering if there'll be more defections than, you know, the three that we suspect might defect. You know, I wonder if anyone in the Senate will grow a conscience and say, look, even even if they don't like the charge, they got to understand that the president is just not right for the job and is abusing this office every single day. Well, at the end of the day, I think that you're going to see a lot more defections on witnesses. But in terms of conviction, nope. Yeah, and I think if you're somebody like Cory Gardner, uh, the, you're going to ha- it's really a fool's errand to think that he's going to flip. Well, it depends. I don't know when the I don't I don't know when the filing deadline is in Colorado. I mean, if he doesn't have a primary challenger. And the vote yes, comes a, down. A depressed base within Colorado in a general election or Republicans sitting at home is a death knell. For yeah. Like that. Yeah. Well, they're going to come out for Trump anyway. So it's, and they'll leave it blank when mm, it comes to Cory Gardner. Interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. I just I or just Susan Collins. Yeah. And, and you saw what Martha McSally said today. She kind of went off. On uh, Manu Raju from CNN. And just, Martha uh, McSally needs moderates in order to win. I mean, She's all, being and, vastly and, outraised by Mark Kelly. Yep. Uh, the Democrat, who's the husband of Gabby Giffords and the former astronaut. Yep. And, I mean, the dude's been into space, and Martha McSally uh, Sally was a fighter pilot. Yeah. Pretty cool. But She's been in the stratosphere. He's been out of the atmosphere. Pilot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an upgrade. I mean, what do you make of that? Am I missing something here? Like, all he asked her was, how are you going to vote on witnesses? And she, and she called him a liberal hack. Well, 
the thing is, the Senate has given instructions to its members, both Republican and Democrat, not to talk to reporters. And there was a card being passed around today saying, here's how you should talk to reporters if they ask you about the trial. And you say things like, excuse me, I'm on my way to a hearing or I have to go and vote or uh, please don't touch me. Right. Uh, Martha McSally seems to have gotten the wrong card and saying, you liberal hack. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure that this will be forgotten in the long run. This is a a momentary blip on the radar, and that's that. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, but it doesn't help her in the long run, right? It, it, it might wind it wind up in its maybe way. Maybe she should have just called Manu Raju an aggressive progressive. Or maybe she should have just said, no, thank you. I'm sorry. I'm, I can't. I don't know. I haven't made up my mind. We'll wait and see. I mean, that's like the best thing to say, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to see what happens. I mean, that's always a great thing to say if you've got to vote on something. You've got to be a judge because ultimately uh, the Senate sits as a court, right? So there's 100 judges. Uh, the chief justice presides and they all get a vote at the end. And, you know, you're sitting as a court or, you know, you want to call it a jury. You want to call them judges, whatever. No, you they're to... not a jury they're, under they're... the Constitution. They are actually judges. Right. They're judges. I remember under the Clinton impeachment, this was actually argued. I believe it was Tom Harkin who raised it. Uh, and ju- uh, chief, then Chief Justice Rehnquist had to issue a ruling and said, no, it is inappropriate to call senators, jurors. They are actually judges. Right. Exactly. So we, you know, you, you got the situation when you're going to be a judge of something. Why don't you just say, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to hear what they have to say. I mean, that's a great answer. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell doesn't need to put that on a card. I think if you're in politics and, and I don't remember Martha McSally being crazy. In fact, I remember her concession speech being quite, you know, delightful, actually, when she was sitting there with her dog. Well, perhaps she was just having a bad day as well. Yeah, people have, have bad days. Everybody, everybody has bad so days. Let's give her a little bit of a break here. So I got a few minutes left with you. Um, I want to talk about 2020 because uh, I know, you You know, you're, look, you're, a, you're a solid strategist. What do you make of the field? What do you make of what you see going on? And how do you see this playing out? Well, I think Bernie and Warren have really taken the gloves off against one another. It was clearly calculated that on Monday, Warren's team leaked that Bernie said a woman can't win, in his opinion. And whether or not that's true, who knows? Uh, But that was what dominated everything on Tuesday. And look at Warren's answer when she got asked about it. She pivoted away into the pre-written soundbite for the debate. So that's why I think it was leaked on Monday. Sanders obviously can't be happy, but at the same time, he's deploying and smearing Joe Biden as some sort of super racist. Right. And uh, why and had Nina Turner try and do this hatchet job op ed on him in South Carolina because Bernie wants to absolutely crush uh, Biden in South Carolina, especially with the African-American. Right. And it's just turning into a lot of ugly. And I watched the debate Tuesday night and I said, you know what? Why are we are these really the best Democrats can do? And you know who was smiling at that debate? Mike Bloomberg. Yeah. Because the longer this goes, the higher the chance Bloomberg is the nominee. If it goes to a convention and you don't have a nominee, Mike Bloomberg then can do something he did in New York, which is he can go and essentially say to all these local, state and county parties right down to the tiniest local level, I will finance your party. Yeah. And he was mayor of New York City. He locked up the Republican Party here by donating to all these tiny little parties that had no funding whatsoever because the party has fallen apart in these areas. He found it that it was cheaper to do that than to run in a Democratic primary. And and I agree with you. I think if the first four primary states are split four ways, Bloomberg's going to be a player. If Biden wins Iowa, I think it's over. I think he if wins Biden the nomination. Iowa, yes, but I actually think that Iowa is going to come down to Bernie and Buttigieg. Ooh, um, I don't I think, think so. I think I think it's going to come between Bernie and Biden. That's just it's my going to feeling. be a very close three to four way race. But yeah. I think the top two will be Biden or Bernie or Buttigieg. There's mm. too many B's here. Well, that's something First we will all, have to. Problem that is something we will have to think about. And, and then look, I mean, whoever wins Iowa is going to have a good chance in New Hampshire. Although Biden and Bernie and Warren seem pretty cluttered there. I think there are New Hampshire voters like my 90-something-year-old grandmother, who's a diehard Republican. And she did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016, either in the primary or in the general election. The first time she had ever voted for a Democrat in a presidential general election. Hmm. And she is going to go out. And she said, you know what? 
I don't like these Democrats, but I'm going to go out and vote for the Democrat I think is best suited. All right. I'm out of time with you, baby. Uh, where do you want people to find you? And where, well, what do you, you got coming up? You can see me in The Mandalorian. I play Baby Yoda. <laughs> we didn't even get to talk about that. <laughs> I know, but Baby Yoda is eternal. I want to see a success. It's actually called Yoda the asset. It's actually called the asset. It's not Baby Yoda. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> yeah. Evan Siegfried, look for him on Twitter. Uh, I'll tweet out his handle so you don't have to worry about it. All right, I'm back. All right, impeachment week. Are you ready for this, man? Are you ready for this? I just wonder if we're going to be surprised, right? That's the key. Will there be a surprise? Will there be a senator we're not even thinking about that comes out? Like, will Tim Scott decide, you know what, enough of this. I'm done. He's not up for an election for four years or two years. You know, is he going to just be like, you know what? Yeah, this guy's bad and I'm done with him. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Joni Ernst, maybe. Even Martha McSally. I mean, everybody was up in arms about Martha McSally. So was I. Uh, CNN reporter Manu Raju asked her a very simple question uh, about should the new evidence come into the impeachment trial? And she said, shut up, you liberal hack, or I'm not talking to you, you liberal hack, something along those lines. That nonsense. Uh, do I chalk it up for a bad day? I mean, she's clearly having a tough election, right? Donald Trump is not very popular in Arizona. She was a fighter pilot, which is really cool, but being an astronaut's cooler. And uh, Mark Kelly's running against her and looking pretty good. So I don't know uh, what was going through her mind when she blurted that out. Maybe she felt that she needed to, uh, you know, get some cheap points with the base. So that like Sheriff Joe Opio doesn't run a primary against her. I guess you could still do that in Arizona. I mean, you could still have Sheriff Joe on the Republican line. Could you imagine? I mean, she just beat him in a primary two years ago. Doesn't want to have to do it again. So uh, we'll see why she was acting that way. And maybe she says, okay, maybe I went too far. Maybe I should vote for witnesses. I don't, I'm not holding my breath. I mean, this is the thing, America. The sad, the sad truth. I am not holding my breath that any of these Republican senators will do the right thing. Any of them. Even the ones that have signaled that they might. Like Lisa Murkowski. Lisa Murkowski, maybe, right? But Susan Collins, don't hold your breath, America. She has been down this road before. She has shown the ability to say, well, maybe we should see it both ways. She's probably not going to do the right thing. Lamar Alexander's retiring. I don't think he needs a job after he retires. Maybe he'll do the right thing. Maybe we'll get lucky. I don't know. Mitt Romney, I don't know what you're waiting for, Mitt Romney. I had high hopes for you when you got elected. I didn't think you needed anything. So I thought you'd do the right thing. And I know how you feel about Donald Trump. I watched the speech you gave when he was running for president about how detrimental he would be to our society. So now, you have a, now you're in a position to do something about it. Do something about it. But I am not holding my breath. And not only do something about it with your vote, whip some other votes. Because you know what they're saying in the cloakroom, Mitt. You know it. You know what's going on out there. You know how people really feel about this president, including some of the people who are out there defending him every single day on camera. You know how they feel about him. As Dr. King said, the time is always right to do what's right. Now's your time, Republican senators. Do what's right. Do what's right. Show the world the true colors of this president. Don't let McConnell... Hide this impeachment in the middle of the night. Do what's right. Fight for this republic. It's worth fighting for. Why are you even in the Senate if you are not going to protect the power of the Senate? I mean, one of the things this man's being impeached for is obstruction of Congress, which is clear. He does not want any oversight. None. You know who? You know, monarchy, right? His boy Putin in Russia just dissolved the government. Everyone in government except for him has been removed, has resigned. What does that mean? What's happening next there? If this president could get away with that, he surely would try. And if the Senate is going to roll over and be nothing more than his lapdog, then we are not that far away from having a government 
that is not of the people, by the people, for the people, but of Trump, for Trump, and by Trump. So get in there and do your job. I'm not holding my breath, but I'd love to be surprised. America, I want to know what you think. Who do you think is going to surprise us? Tweet at me. I'm at Christopher Hahn or shoot me an email. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. And please tell some friends about it. We're growing, like, like I said, every single week. Every week. It's it's amazing to me. I I, I never thought I'm 42 weeks into this podcast. Uh, the first month or two, I had a, a small loyal listenership. I, I will admit that. A small loyal listenership. It is now a mid-sized loyal listenership. It's not, I wouldn't call it large, but it is larger than most podcasts. There's a, there's a billion podcasts and we are definitely one of the fastest growing political podcasts on the web. And, and that's because of word of mouth, because I'm not advertising. Uh, I mean, I'm on TV and I talk about it. So I guess that's advertising. I'm on the radio and I talk about it. That's advertising, but you are telling your friends about this podcast. They are listening and uh, I really do appreciate it. And if you've got an idea, you, something you want me to talk about, shoot me an email. Uh, go to ChristopherHahn.com. There is a link there to an actual Gmail address that I do read. So uh, check that out. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, you're enjoying this and you'll tell some friends. And hopefully we will all be pleasantly surprised this week. Like I said, don't hold your breath. But uh, maybe we'll be, be surprised. So... With that, I've got to remind you, as always, to seek the truth, America. Question everyone and everything, even me, but especially the president and especially your your United States senator, if they are not voting to have witnesses in this trial. Question them, call them, write them, talk to them if you see them at fairs. Seek the truth, America. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.